We began last week a new series, a new study in God's Word, and we're calling it One, because in the scriptures we're reading, the word one appears multiple times. Jesus is speaking to us through His Word, through these passages that we're going to be reading. He's speaking to us about something He's very passionate about and something He's very excited about. He's speaking to us about the church. Does that excite you? doesn't excite a lot of people in our world today. Uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I like Jesus. I can even get excited about Jesus, but the church, uh, well, I guess we have to put up with it. And there are people who say, I mean, I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't go to church anymore. So what is the church? Many people think of the church as a place to go, where a person sits in an audience, gets something out of the service, they hope, and then go away. But the way the word church is used in the New Testament, the way Jesus used the church, it's never about a place. It's never about a building. It's never about a hierarchy or some kind of organization. In the New Testament, the church is always about the people of God. The people who have responded to the grace and mercy of God. The people who've been transformed by Jesus' love. The church is where the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. The kingdom of God, what's that? That's the rule of God. That is, that is where God is restoring all things, putting them back to the way they were, bringing, as we have seen already in the Scripture we have read, bringing unity, because sin brings the opposite. Our sin has brought brokenness, brokenness in our lives, brokenness in other people's lives. Our sin and our selfishness brings division. And the cultures of the world have always, not just recent years, have always been marked by and filled with division. It was that way when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I just happened to be, we were on vacation, and I happened to be at the same place where President Johnson was. So I shook hands with President Johnson. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. I actually get to shake hands with the President of the United States. And, and I, I think I was, uh, well, I can tell you how old I was. I was seven years old because I remember what year it was. And when I got back home and went to church, do you know what the people there asked me? They wanted to know if I'd washed my hands because they weren't going to shake my hand. They were kidding halfway. They weren't going to shake my hand because I had touched him. Isn't that stupid? Our world is filled with division. It's not new. Sometimes we listen to the news and we worry about it and say, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? It's always been that way. That's what sin does. Still not okay. And Jesus knew it wasn't okay. That's why he came. He came to bring restoration. He came to bring unity. And so today we're going to read once again from God's Word about his vision 
for the kingdom of heaven and how he wants to work in our lives. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to jump in to the discussion that's taking place in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Now I want to, what's the name of this study that we're doing together? One. So pay attention. The word's going to appear here multiple times. It's the point. Paul writes, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Do you hear all of these division kinds of words there that he's using to describe their state? But he goes on. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who was made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was, we should pay attention if it's telling us what Jesus' purpose was, don't you think? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, is to become a whole other to be. So you heard there, there was a list of words about division and separation. And then there was a list of words about reconciliation and unity and love, which are the result of Jesus Christ coming and giving his life for us. You were separated from the king, detached from the community of Israel, foreigners to the covenant. You had no hope. You had no God. You were stranded in the world. He's painting a very bleak picture, an unpleasant and awful picture, but the truth of what life is like apart from Jesus. But he says, now, now, in King Jesus, you have been brought near. You who were excluded, pushed away, kept far off, you have been brought near because He is our peace. 
he has made the two who were divided, he has made them one. Now, the two who were divided are the Gentiles and the Jews, and for Jewish people, that was the main division in the world. And however much access a person had to a Jewish person depended on whether they were Jewish or Gentile. But he made the two who once were far apart one. What does that mean? The two one. Well, I got a picture here for you. It's the Missouri River is over here on this side coming into the Mississippi River. This is just north of St. Louis. Doesn't look like it's on the outskirts of a big city like that, does it? These two very large rivers, one coming from Idaho and the other from Minnesota, coming together at St. Louis and continuing on south. Now, if you were to, to go to New Orleans and you took a jar of water down there and you said, well, I got two jars of water. I'm going to fill this jar up with water from Minnesota that was brought down by the Mississippi and this jar up with water from Idaho that was brought by the Missouri, you would be a very foolish person because the two became one and you can't separate them out again. You know that. They're one. They're not two. It's not two rivers running down the same big ditch. The two became one. There's another picture that he gives here. It's a picture of this dividing wall. So, what's he talking? This was a very literal, it was an actual wall. He's not just saying, well, let's just imagine a dividing wall. This was an actual wall. This wall was at the temple in Jerusalem. So, we've got a picture of a model of the temple of Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed uh, centuries and centuries ago. And, and so, we don't know for sure exactly what it looks like, but this, uh, scholars think, well, this is probably a pretty good guess of what it looked like. Now, that big plaza that's all around the, the temple, anybody could go in there, whether they believed in God or didn't, whether they were an idolater or not, whether they were an atheist or, or a believer in God, anybody could go in that. But you see, right around the temple, there is another wall in, that encloses a smaller courtyard. That's the dividing wall. Only certain people were allowed to go past, to go through that wall. And there was a stone, it was called the Soreg. There was a stone at the entrance, every entrance into that courtyard, there was a stone. We got a picture of it. Uh, it for centuries and centuries, the only way we know about this stone was because of historical writings who told us what was written on the stone. But in the 1800s, archaeologists found it, and so here it is, sitting in a museum, and this, since I think probably that we aren't great at reading Greek, you would like for me to translate it for you, probably. Is that right? Here's what it says. You know, you're going to worship God, and at the door, this is what you read. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Makes you feel warm and welcome, huh? And they meant it. They meant it. You know, many of you know the story about Paul and how the, 
when Paul was worshiping at the temple, there ended up being a riot because some people said he had taken foreigners past the wall. Well, he hadn't, but they cared so much. They were going to kill him, except the Roman soldiers came down and they rescued him and carried him off. Otherwise, he would have been killed. They meant it. And they would follow through. He says, so that's a picture. That's really there. At the time he wrote it, it was really there. It came down not too many years later when the whole temple was destroyed. But, but he says, Jesus took the two and made them one. He broke down the dividing wall. It doesn't exist anymore. He says, the Gentiles and the Jews were so far apart, distrusted and hated and despised one another. And look what Jesus in his grace and mercy has done. He has taken away the enmity and made them one. In fact, he says, he killed the hostility. That's what Jesus was here to do, kill hostility. And in his kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, there is no hostility. In the kingdom of heaven, over and over, maybe you noticed it, over and over he uses the word peace. Peace to describe life in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, and that's what the church is. The church, the church isn't some building, the church isn't some organization. The church is the people, the people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And in the church, the kingdom of heaven has come, and the world's supposed to be able to see what the kingdom of heaven is like and what Jesus died for, what, what, what God's plan for the world is all about. They're supposed to be able to tell by looking at the church, the people, us. You remember what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this, everyone will be able to know that you are my disciple if you love one another as I have loved you. Well, love's a kind of risky thing, isn't it? You ever loved someone and had your heart broken? You ever trusted someone and been wounded? I'm not just talking about disappointments. Sometimes it's way worse than that. Many of us who are here, probably most of us who are here, would say, oh yeah, I know about that. So I'm more cautious now. You know what cautiousness is? A dividing wall. Jesus knew what everyone was going to do to him, and yet he didn't have a dividing wall. He didn't have some protective thing going on out here to make sure they did out love. Dear to you, sometimes it's a frustrating thing, isn't it, to love them? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but the answer is right here. 
The answer is right here because look at that first word we read, verse 11. What's the first word there? We started with it. Therefore, therefore always means that there was something very important that went before, and we just jumped in into the conclusion here. The therefore is the reason. What, therefore, what's been going on? He's been talking about the love and mercy of God. He has told them that before the creation of the world, before God ever started creating a single thing, He loved you. You. He knew you. Not just, oh, people. No, He knew you. He loved you, and He chose you to be a member of His family. But he knew that you were going to be a rebel, that you were going to go around breaking people's lives, living selfishly, choosing sin, and in fact breaking your own life. And once the breaking was done, you were not going to be able to put it back together. You would not find wholeness again unless the Creator did something for you. And so he talks about the coming of Christ, <clears throat> how it was God's plan before he started creating to rescue us. And he says, God is rich in mercy, which is pretty good because we need an awful lot of it. But he's rich. He doesn't have a limited amount of mercy. He talks about God pouring his grace out on us in such extravagant ways that he says God lavishly pours out his grace, his love, his mercy upon us. And so he says, since you are so loved by God and God cares for you, then therefore you can let God make you one with other people because God's going to take care of you. You already know this. Look at how he's poured out his love upon you already. Do you doubt his love? Look what he's done. You've experienced it. So you can risk loving others. Now, now some people think when a pastor says something like that, the pastor is saying, God will never let anything you don't like happen to you. Oh, there you're going to have lots of stuff happen to you that you don't like. You live here. And all of us, all of us, if we did the best we possibly could at letting God love you through us, we'd still mess it up sometimes because we've got issues. Jesus is working on them. Remember, he's transforming us and renewing our mind, and he's changing us but we're still being changed, and there's still some stuff he's working on, and he's helping us. So we'll, we'll disappoint you, and we don't mean to, but we'll hurt you. And out in the world, away from the kingdom of God, let me assure you that people are out there who don't care. Well, some of them do care. They want to make sure you hurt. I don't know why. It's just the way we are apart from Jesus. 
But what, so what does it mean? God will take care of you. It means that no matter what happens to you, no matter what anyone does, God will be with you and give you strength, and you will see his hand at work, if not immediately, at least eventually, and you will watch him bring wholeness even out of brokenness. It will astonish you. And so, because we know the love of God, he says, therefore, live in unity. Be the church, the people of God. Love one another. Now, we can't love one another unless we know one another. So, how do we be one? We can't be one at all unless we spend time talking to each other. We've got to, you say, well, you know, that's just not the personality Jesus gave me. Uh, I, I want you to know something. Yes, it is, but sin has wounded you, and in your woundedness, he didn't make us all extroverts, but introvert does not mean unable to talk to other people. Introverts can talk to people. Woundedness makes us afraid. God didn't make you afraid. Sin in the world made you afraid. So we've got to know each other. We can't be one if we haven't got a clue what's happening in each other's lives. And so that, you know what that means? It means we can't be the church. Oh, we can be a church like lots of churches because we've settled for the idea that we're just an audience. We come, you know, they put a show on up at front and then we go home and we do our thing. That's never been church. Church is people. And so, to be the church, we have to know each other. So, what, what are some steps that we can take? What are some very concrete things? Well, look around. Is there anybody in this room you don't know? Is there anyone in the room you don't know their name? Maybe you need to find out someone's name. Just start there. Say, hi, I know you come to church here all the time. I see you across the room, but I've never asked you your name or else you told me once about five years ago and I forgot and ever since then I've avoided you because I can't remember your name. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to remember everybody's name. I, I, can, I can blame it on the fact that my that my family loses their memories, but, but I don't think that'll really work. I just, sometimes I forget people's names. Even people I know very well, I can tell you all about a person's life, and, but the name is just lost out of my brain somewhere. Okay, it happens to us all. Ask, just introduce yourself. Tell somebody your name. Or talk to one another. Maybe... Here's something that's very, we do this not just because churches do that sort of thing. We do this because it's important to be one and to have community. Be in a discipleship group, a small group. People read the Bible together, yes, and pray together, yes, but they also share their lives together. How can you know how the resources you have can help strengthen and meet needs in other people's lives if you don't even know them? You haven't got a clue what their need is. 
And so Jesus invites us to love one another. And one good place to do that is in a small group where you get to know people and they get to know you and you help and strengthen one another together because that's the way the kingdom of heaven works. This week we were talking about this and one guy said, well, you know, back last spring you were telling everybody to invite somebody to lunch. I thought that was a good idea. You need to tell everybody to do it again. So, okay, it wasn't in the sermon, but there you have it, all right? Invite somebody to lunch. Let's go Dutch Jim to lunch. Well, don't tell it to them. <laughs> it's okay to have some privacy. It's just to show the love of Jesus. Now, here's something I want you to hear me, and I'm saying this in love and concern. Jesus doesn't want you broken. He came to restore us and make us whole. And if you say, I cannot do that, It is too difficult, too frightening for me to do that. I want you to know that Jesus came to heal wounds. And he wants that healed in your life. Being that broken isn't his will for you. So I don't know for sure how he's going to do it. But I know that for many people sitting in this room right now, Jesus healed long-held wounds, some of them decades-old wounds, when they participated in Christ's life solution. So I want you to know, you don't have to live wounded and separated from people and alone. It isn't Jesus' plan. And his plan is not for his church, to gather, remain strangers, friendly strangers, but strangers, and then leave and not help and encourage one another. So, how has the Spirit spoken to you? Have you heard Him today? He wants us to really be His church. He wants us to be one. Let us love one another as he has loved us. Lord Jesus Christ, help us. We get so busy, we get so busy, we don't reach out in love. We protect ourselves so we don't reach out in love. And sometimes there's still selfishness in us and we don't reach out in love. So help us each one. You know where we are and we know exactly we know that you know exactly what your purpose for is, us is today and this week. So help us all this week to take steps to be one, to take steps to love one another. Give us your blessing. May we, in fact, carry the healing message of Jesus from this place to our broken world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.